have walk-up music too, just like Bob. So, all right, welcome everybody. For those of you who may not know me, I'm Pastor Gabrielle, I'm Pastor Bob's wife, and, and I'm so happy to get a chance to teach this Sunday why Bob is enjoying um, a bucket list item and having a great time. He's already been sending me videos and everything, so that's uh, kind of fun for him to be able to do that. Uh, what I am teaching on today, uh, he alluded to the wait what. So I had an idea that um, as I continue studying the Bible, which is one of my very favorite things in the world, that so often there are certain scriptures or stories in the Bible that you come across that make you go, wait, what? What was that right there? And so I've done one of these uh, so far, and to give you just an idea, if you had not seen that very first one, one of the stories I covered in that was the story of Elisha, when he is accosted by some youths in the forest, and some uh, female bears come out of the forest and maul the youths. You know, not a warm, fuzzy story. And that was one that was kind of a wait what for me. And my idea was, those are the kinds of stories where you might just bypass them. You start skimming and you're like, I'm never going to understand that. I'm just going to set that aside and just keep going. But I think often we miss the chance to um, do some additional study in those scriptures that are confusing to us or problematic or maybe aren't readily understandable. And to be honest with you, uh, the focus then of this whole series is to encourage you for that study. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what my strategies are in the hopes that it might help you come up with some strategies of your own. And it might incent you to want to study out some of those things that you've come across. So like I, I keep a notebook and I write those things down so that I can go back and do exactly that. So I can do some study. And I wanted to mention, I, I noticed that some people might be a little chilly right now. I was having a wicked hot flash before I came up here. And so I turned the temperature down. So I apologize. <laughs> some people are two thumbs up and some people are like, just, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, I'm sorry. So uh, just being super, super real. Um, so anyway, when you do study, when you get into study, sometimes uh, you don't get a black and white answer. You know, you might study it out and be like, you know what, that I still don't have a concrete answer. And sometimes that's the way it is. But sometimes you get some amazing revelation. And maybe it's in the form of a true answer. Or maybe it's in uh, the form of a deeper answer than you had before. That it, you've studied some things out that make you be able to consider some things that had not been on your radar before. So that's kind of where we're going with this. Uh, it's not going to be like, I'm right, you're wrong, whatever you thought. You know, it's not like that. I want you guys to really... Um, just have it open up your mind. And one of the things I love, after the first service, I already had people coming up to me for ideas for more in this series. And I love that. I love that. I like that that kind of gets people thinking and excited about that. So many great recommendations. I asked you guys to email me things that you would like me to talk about. And I got more than I could do in, in a day, which is awesome because I'm already now setting some aside for future messages. Uh, some of them were messages also or, or scriptures where they would not be well served with a 30-minute time frame. They'd be ones that would be good mini-series, you know, like a few messages in that. So if, you, if your subject is not talked about today, don't worry. It's, it's there. It's in the mix. But I want to make sure I do these, these scriptures justice. Um, 
So to start, before we get going with what the actual scriptures are, I wanted to let you know some of the resources that I use when I'm studying these out. I'm using the NLT Bible. So my main Bible is NLT because I just like that version. I use the NIV Study Bible. I use BibleHub.com where I can look at all of the different translations. I can look at commentaries. I can look at word study. I use SeekingScriptures.com, GotQuestions.org. I use First Five Bible Study, which is the format that we use in the women's study. And I used a cultural study Bible um, because everything in that relates to the cultural context of the time. So those are some of the things that I used for these scriptures. There is such a wealth of information out there that um, there's no reason not to. There's no reason not to access these things and take it a step further. So our first wait what moment that we're going to cover is in Exodus. Exodus is full of them, I'm just telling you guys. Uh, Exodus 23.19. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So my initial reaction, yes. I don't know how often, I'm pretty sure that this may be the only church service where you're going to get to see the hurl emoji, right? So um, yeah, that's that's a tough scripture because that is just thrown in there. It doesn't seem like it really matches the rest of that sentence. So there are a few things that I always do when I'm studying a scripture out. One of the first things is I look to see where else in the Bible the scripture might be mentioned or alluded to. And um, there's the law of first mention, like where's the very first place that it's mentioned? Where are the other places? Uh, you might be able to read this scripture if it's mentioned in other places and get a fuller picture of what it means. Now, for people that have studied in Kings and Chronicles, those books, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, correlate very closely to each other. But because they were written for different purposes, there were different purposes that the writers had in writing them, there are different things that might be highlighted about a battle or about a king. So to get a full picture, it's excellent to be able to cross-reference in those books to maybe get details that are missing from some of the other um, instances of a certain situation. So I looked for that. That was one of the first things that I did here. And yes, this scripture uh, is alluded to or referenced in Exodus 34, 26 and Deuteronomy 14, 21. So I've got those, the three scriptures, my original and the other two mentions. And so I read those other instances and I read the verses before and after at the very least so that I have some context for them. But even better than yet, if you can read the whole chapter, because often you really need to have that flow to be able to understand where you're going and why something might have a certain meaning. So in the 2319 scripture, it's revolving around God giving Moses the requirements for offerings at some festivals that are coming. The festival of unleavened bread, festival of harvest, and the festival of the final harvest. So God is giving the requirements for these offerings to Moses when he's talking about these things. And surrounding the scripture in Exodus 34, 26, Jeremy, if you want to put that up, this is the renewal of God's covenant. And again, he's giving Moses a detailed description. It looks super similar because it's exactly the same. 
All right? So the first time Moses is giving these, these uh, rules to, uh, or God is giving these rules to Moses, and then the second time, there's a renewal of this covenant, and he's, again, making sure that Moses has these detailed instructions regarding the offerings at these festivals. So then we come down to Deuteronomy. This is the third place where I found the scripture mentioned. And Deuteronomy 14.21, the scripture in Deuteronomy is right after a breakdown on ceremonially clean and unclean meats and right before a discussion of setting aside a tithe of crops. So let's go ahead, we'll read that scripture. You must not eat anything that has died a natural death you may not give it to you may give it to a foreigner living in your town or you may sell it to a stranger but do not eat it yourselves for you are set apart as holy to the Lord your God you must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk all right so a little thing about the way this formatted on here is in that Deuteronomy scripture it is actually that last line is one line down so it's kind of set aside from that paragraph almost like it's a paragraph unto itself. And then the next verse is Deuteronomy 14.22. I'm just going to read this to you. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. So keep that in your brain because we're going to go back to that. So here the context is Moses is teaching the new generation about the requirements that God handed down on Mount Sinai. So a lot of time has elapsed from the time that it was first handed down, and now Moses is making sure that the young people that have come up during this time understand what these rules were for the offerings at these festivals. So we look at those, I've read these chapters, I've looked at the context to make sure I understand the flow of what is happening, and then um, before I go into the commentaries or before I look at word study, I pray about it. I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me what I'm supposed to get from this. If there is something that I'm missing, something that's not readily apparent, you know, give me that leading to go where I need to go to study this out because I want to understand it. That's the amazing thing about study. How can you have application in your life if you don't understand what you're reading. So I think it makes sense to try to make that effort to understand what God was trying to get across at that point. And in a side note on this is that this scripture, you know, when we think about kosher foods and the traditions that, that the Jewish um, families have as far as separating dairy and meat, this is where that comes from, right? So they've got a very literal interpretation about where this was going, and their interpretation is that it's any meat and dairy, not just goat, okay? So that's just a side note, but I think it's an interesting thing um, to help you know where some places are, some people are coming from in the things that they believe. So when I'm reading through all of those, these commentaries and studying this, there are lots of different opinions about this particular verse, that sentence in that verse. First one is, and I would say probably the most prevalent, is that it was an idolatrous practice. That, um, that it was a practice to boil a young goat in its mother's milk and then sprinkle the milk in fields to uh, essentially bless it for a bigger harvest. Okay? So not, not something that God put into place, but something that was a pagan ritual 
that, that they did in their fields. So that seems to be very popular, pretty widely accepted. Um, another idea was simply that it's cruel. It's a cruel idea to take a young baby goat and boil it in the substance that should be nourishment for it. So not only is it cruel, but that it shows contempt for a parent-child relationship. And I can see that. You know, there are some scriptures in Deuteronomy and Leviticus that talk about not taking the parent at the same time as the child. So like not taking the mother bird with the eggs out of her nest. You know, not slaughtering a calf and the mother cow in the same day. Now, I know that this is not stuff that you guys on a daily basis have to necessarily deal with. I get that. But these types of ideas, they play through to our current situation. So, okay, I can see that. It's cruel. It's a contempt for that parent-child relationship. One, um, one idea that was out there was it's too luxurious and uncaring. And I was like, luxurious? But their opinion was that it was seen as a delicacy to have the goat that way. And that if somebody were to kind of go with that, they're totally disregarding the feelings of the goat, the mom goat in this situation, in order to feed their own personal desire for that luxurious meal. Um, I totally can't understand that, but I think we know why. That's not the luxurious meal that I would choose. But okay, so we get that. And then in the Deuteronomy verse, the previous verses in that one, they were talking about the ceremonially clean and unclean meats. This is where God's giving Moses these rules to set the Israelites apart. He's telling him something that is culturally, it's countercultural to them at that time to separate the meat and the dairy, to even care about that. And something else that would be uh, countercultural would be this unusual kindness or even caring how an animal might be affected by something that you did. So because of the whole flow of that, where again, God is saying that you are set apart as holy to the Lord your God, it was meant to set them apart. And that's why he said, it's okay to give it to strangers or to sell it to somebody else because if they're not my people, they are not set apart as holy to the Lord. So that's the context of that. Another idea, possibly it's an incorrectly executed offering. So in the offerings, there were lots of rules as far as roasting meat and that type of thing when they were making an offering to the Lord. It could be that the problem was that they were boiling the goat as opposed to uh, roasting it. One person said, and I'm sure more than one person, but a metaphor regarding the dangers of accepting teachings about God that are easy to understand, where the message has been cooked or altered in order to be palatable. Now, me personally, reading this, I don't see it as a metaphor in that way because then I feel everything beforehand would have to have been a metaphor as well. And the flow does not seem to me to, to lend itself to that. But I see where they're going with that. I just don't personally ascribe to that particular idea. Or the last one um, that I'm going to point out today, which was new to me, one that I had not heard before, but I thought was really interesting, that possibly it's a Hebrew idiom. 
So when we say idiom, just an expression. So think about a thousand years from now, if somebody was reading something that we had and they saw the idiom, raining cats and dogs, right? Could they not be like, what is that supposed to mean? Possibly, this could have been a Hebrew idiom, meaning not to combine the old with the new. And so we're going to go back and we're going to look at the context of where this verse shows up to see where that, how that might play out. So in the 2319 and 3426, again, the exact same wording, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord, uh, of the house of the Lord, your God, you must not cook a goat in its mother's milk. All right. So let's take that last sentence out and say, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord, your God. Don't mix the old with the new. Don't mix the old harvest with the new harvest. Don't try to pull one over on God and say, I'm going to scooch some of this old stale stuff I have in with the best that I have from my first harvest and present that to God. And then the Deuteronomy one, you know, where we're talking about the unclean uh, meats and then we drop down to, you must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And then the very next sentence is, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. So if you change that again, going into that, don't mix the old with the new. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Don't take your old seed and mix it with your new seed. Don't take your old uh, grain and mix it with your new grain. Don't try to shortchange God by um, boosting your own self up and keeping some of the best for yourself. Now, I had never heard that idea before. And so I thought that that was one where, um, I thought that was legit. I thought that, you know, I can see that. I like the idea of that. I feel me personally, I've always kind of fallen more into the category of the idolatry part of it, the idolatrous practice. That's mostly what I've heard taught about that, that verse. But I feel like a lot of those things that I studied out had reasonable aspects to consider. And the bottom line is this is not in any way, shape, or form a salvation issue, right? If you don't have the final 100% right answer, it is not a salvation issue for you. But because they have value and, and you, you look at these, I thought to myself, I'm going to give you what my takeaway is, my application for you in this particular one. My suggestion is do not practice idolatry. Do not be cruel. Do not be so self-focused on your own desires that you disregard the feelings of another, even if it's an animal. Do not shortchange God of the best you have to offer. And whatever you do, for heaven's sakes, do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. All right? This is one of those situations that regardless of really, really, really what that scripture means, whether or not it's literal, whether or not it has these other connotations to it, I feel pretty comfortable that in any of those scenarios, we can hold true to that. That they're, that they're good and they're worthy and they're worthwhile. And if you have questions about those and you think that's interesting, now you can go back and you can study those a little further to see where you come down on that. But again, 
not a salvation issue, but an interesting thing to study. And something that you set aside and as you do further study, you might find in other instances things that bring you back to this. Somebody brought up old and new wineskins in the, in the New Testament. So think about, think about where um, the Lord may lead you to refer back to the scripture at some point to reveal something to you. Okay, so our second scripture that we're going to cover, our second and final scripture, comes out of Numbers. And so to give you a little bit of background on this, I know for some people they're like, Numbers, most boring book ever. Really it's not. It's got the worst name ever. Numbers is the worst name ever, but it's really not a boring book at all. Uh, Numbers covers the travel of the Israelites through the wilderness And the name comes from the two censuses that take place. One in the beginning, where they have the census of the older generation and everybody that's heading out there. And one at the end, where they're getting the census of the new generation. And for those of you that are older like me, you're always like, younger generation, older generation. See, they even had it back then in Moses' time. It was that way. So during this travel, though, the Israelites, they come to Moab. And the king, uh, Balak in Moab, is essentially having a meltdown because of what the Israelites did to the Amorites. And he's freaking out, and he is terrified, and so he's looking to find someone to curse the Israelites for him. And so he goes out, and he searches out Balaam, who is a renowned seer, right? He's famous. People know him. Uh, He is not a man of God, but... In this case, and we'll talk about this a little bit, you know, God uses him. So we're going to talk about that in a second. So anyway, Balak is is searching Balaam out and wants him to, to curse the Israelites. And this part of the story is where Balaam is getting ready to travel to um, see Balak and talk about this because he's being offered money in order to curse the Israelites. And he talks to God. So he's, he's not a good guy, but he's not necessarily at this point in time a false prophet because God does give him words to speak, right? He's using somebody who is not set apart, not a man of God, but he's using him to speak his words because this is who Balak is searching out. So again, Keep that in the back of your mind. So God tells Balaam that he can go on this trip, but only if he can, will bless Israel, only if he says just the words God gives him. Balak says, okay, absolutely, I'll do that. But in the back of his mind, he's like, how can I do what I want to do and get paid by the king to curse Israel? So even though he's saying all the right things to God, he thinks that he can hold some of that in reserve and God's not going to know. So I'm going to read you this chunk of scripture, Numbers 22, 21 through 34, but they're only going to put up a small section of the scripture um, on the screen because that's where we're going to focus afterwards. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. And just a side note, an angel of the Lord is the presence of God. If you are reading this story in your Bible and it underlines God's words, you will see when the angel of the Lord speaks, it's God speaking. So so this is serious stuff. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. 
Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times, it asked Balaam. You've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. So one of the things that strikes me about this scripture, among other things, is that Balaam doesn't even bet an eyelash that his donkey is talking to him. So, so I, yeah, what the heck, Balaam, right? So I don't know if you noticed, this is the old field paraphrase that I'm using right here. And yeah, and he just starts having a conversation with him. So, all right, okay, that, that's like number one. Uh, so I went through, started going through my strategy of looking where else is this referenced in scripture. And there are uh, several references. Uh, we've got Deuteronomy, Joshua, Micah, Second Peter. And when I'm reading this, I'm looking, is there anything about Balaam that is not apparent about him in this story? Is he a guy who's misunderstood? And the answer is no. He's a bad guy. He's not, he's not a good guy. He is out for himself. And these other scriptures, you know, absolutely paint that picture of him. So then why did God open the donkey's mouth? Because it really doesn't explain that in those other scriptures, other than saying that the donkey thwarted his, his um, you know, attempt at, again, circumventing what God wanted him to do. So some people believe Again, it comes down to a cruelty thing. Balaam's cruelty to his donkey was why God opened his mouth. And I think that that is certainly an aspect of it because it is not in God's character to be cruel or to be okay with that. But I think there's a lot more than just that. Uh, some believe the donkey just brayed loudly and Balaam interpreted that as a human voice and it convicted him of his cruelty. I am just going to throw this out there. Some people have a really hard time thinking like it'd be impossible for God to make a donkey talk. If you are a believer and you believe that God created the earth in seven days, how can making a donkey talk be a problem? I mean, that is like the easiest thing he's done all day, I'm sure, in that point. So, so I am one to believe that the donkey actually talked. I believe that. I believe he actually talked. Uh, some believe that it was God speaking through the animal. I think this is possible because it says in some of the uh, in translations, it 
specifies that um, he opened the donkey's mouth and the words came out in a human voice. Okay, so I, I could see that. And, and part of the backup to that is that they say that the angel of the Lord, when he talks, they, he kind of mirrors that same question about why did you beat me three times, the donkey asks. And then the angel of the Lord says, why did you beat your donkey three times? So some people are saying that, you know, God, that's essentially God speaking through the donkey. I think that's possible. That's possible. Either way, there was a message he needed to get across, and he did it in a very unique, unique manner. Some believe, and I think this is an aspect of it for sure, that God was using the irony that a donkey would have more wisdom and be more spiritually sensitive to the Lord than even Balaam. So think about this. Balaam's world-renowned in his world. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, right? And, and Balak has sent far away for him to come so he can curse Israel. Yet, God is able to use this donkey who can see the angel of the Lord to keep him from going on his travels before God has a chance to tell him, you better only speak the words that I give you. Honestly, God could have sent the donkey to deliver the prophetic words to Balak and his people, except that would have been the most distracting conversation ever, right? You know, I, it'd be like, you know, I can't get past the fact that you're a donkey. I can't, you know what I mean? So God in his wisdom, that is not what happened there. But he could have, he totally could have. He's God. God showed Balaam that he could reveal himself to whomever or whatever he pleased, and that Balaam held no special power to do anything that God would not allow. Essentially, it was God's way or no way, and that even a donkey could keep him from progressing on a path that was contrary to God's will. So Balak, again, given so much weight um, to Balaam's reputation, I know those names are super similar, but Balak, the king, was giving so much weight to Balaam's reputation that I think God need to, needed to show Balak, uh, Balaam, rather, that he was going to have his way. You know, you can, you can go out there, you can hope that somehow you're going to circumvent me, but it's not going to happen. And you wonder, after God uses Balaam in this way, so Balaam is not, again, a good man. Balaam is a pagan. Balaam uses divin uh, divination and all of these different rituals in order to tell the future. So does it happen that after God uses him in this way to deliver this prophetic message, does it happen that he changes? And the answer is no. And if you study in Joshua, one of the other um, scriptures where Balaam is noted, he's actually put to the sword and killed for telling the future using magic. So it's not like it was some miraculous change. God used him because God wanted to use him. He was making a point. So worship team, you can come on up. So if we're looking at this and we're asking again for a takeaway. So in the first scripture, I gave you my little list of what your takeaways were in that. In this one, it's a shorter takeaway, but a more powerful one, I believe. 
I think God's purpose will be realized no matter who or what is at hand. So sometimes we believe we can't be used or that he can't use somebody that we have deemed somehow insufficient. But sometimes God uses what seems the least plausible and a donkey that talks is right up there in the least plausible way of accomplishing something to give glory to his name. So what does that mean when we, when we say to give glory to his name? It means that God does something in such a way that there is absolutely no other explanation other than his divine intervention, his divine active movement in something to explain how it happened in that way. That it isn't something that we can somehow take credit for or say that we did it or, oh, it's just 100% coincidence or you know how that is. Giving glory to God's name is when there is something that is so clearly him that it can't be anything else. And that gives glory to his name. And sometimes that's something that you do. Don't, don't sell yourself short and think you can't be part of a miracle that God wants to accomplish because if he wants to use you and you let him, he will use you. And if you don't, he'll use your dog. You know, I mean, seriously, let him use you. Say yes to that. It's so amazing to think that there is truly nothing impossible for God to accomplish. So we're going to do communion, all right? And if you didn't get a chance to grab your little communion cup as you walked in, go ahead and do that. And if you're watching online, grab whatever you have available. But I want you to think about um, especially this last story that we talked about and what that could mean to you. What is there that God has put on your heart that you have decided that you are not prepared for, not educated enough for, not talented enough for? What is it that he's put on your heart that you could be doing for him that you've made the decision he can't use you for that? And I want to encourage you to just let that go, to know that Jesus Christ had his body broken for you so that you could be used in those ways. And if that's something that you want to say yes to, let's take the body. And Jesus Christ, his cleansing blood, that which reconciled us to the Father, is what keeps us square in the middle of what he wants to do, what allows us to be part of those things. And so just, again, just open your heart to let him speak to you what he wants to do with you. What amazing thing. You know, not like, what's he going to do with me? What amazing thing is he going to do with you? Because sometimes all we see is that short piece, not knowing the big overreaching um, things that can come of something. You know, what the results are. So let's take that, the blood of Jesus and accept and say, yes, Jesus, use me. Use me however you want to use me. So guys, I love you guys. I'm so glad you're here today. And I hope as you worship with our amazing worship team, you just hold in your heart the miracle that God wants to make you a part of.